0: Hi, I'm Irwin McManus, and I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and Fuller Way, Uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel, and we'll see you there. It's curious that we actually have a date scheduled every year that we would call Memorial Day, that we would set a time apart to encourage people to remember, to look back. Memorials are those unique moments in life that end up defining you. There are those moments that that usually are the crashing together of tragedy and heroism. Memorials are usually built around some of the greatest challenges, some of those painful moments in a history. And they're also built around those individuals who rise above those moments. Big moments and people who become bigger than the moment. And it's a powerful thing to have memorials. I'm not a person who likes to look backwards. I like to look forward. But all of us, whether we intend to or not, have memorials in our lives. And one of the things I discovered when I was young, when I was struggling with some deep brokenness in my own soul, was that I had built memorials around the five or six most painful moments in my life. And they were the memorials that I took with me every day. And those memories of the past shaped my present and created my future. Uh, part of the process that I had to go through to create a different kind of future was, choose, was to choose different memorials in my life. And there's some of you here and you haven't really thought through what your memorials are. But if you're struggling with brokenness, if you are overwhelmed with a sense of emptiness, if you are always wondering if you are inadequate, insignificant, if you have no value, if you'll never accomplish anything meaningful in your life, I would challenge you to look at your memorials because they are informing your identity because that's what memorials do. They tell you who you are. And if you are like I was, overwhelmed by memorials that that left me broken rather than those memorials that provoked the best of me. I have great news for you. Because we humans, we we live in this intersection of time. We, We stand at the cross section of the past and the future. And though there are memorials behind us, what we don't realize is that this moment will soon become history. And we can choose to create memorials that one day we'll be looking back on, remembering, and we'll be thankful that those memorials shaped our lives and created a different, better future. It's the same with us as the people, as the church. I was on the phone, I think, two weeks ago with my brother. And family relationships are always so interesting, aren't they? And, my, my, and on the phone call my brother said something to me that he said to me before many times that really irritates me that every time I hear it, it's like hugging a porcupine it, it just agitates me so much and I have to act like it doesn't bother me at all and so we're talking about all these different issues different things in life and, and then he says wow you've really changed there it is that indictment that subtle subtle statement That always feels to me a condemnation of who I used to be. Wow, you've really changed. And he doesn't say it, but I project on him the, well, I have never changed. But I know he's changed. See, I I know he's changed because I really like him. (laughs) I know he's changed because he's so much kinder than he ever was. He's so enjoyable, more than ever. He doesn't beat me up anymore. There's so many things... That he has changed in his life. That make him for me so much more of a brother to me. So I know he's changed. He doesn't see those areas as much as maybe he sees the places I've changed. And I don't want to always admit I've changed. Except at the same time I would be devastated if I never changed. I am so grateful I've changed. I need to own that. Just accept that. And that, that's one of the reasons, by the way. Be careful the photos you allowed to be taken. Because now, six decades later, I have a whole history of photographs that remind me who I used to be and how much I've changed. And I can tell you, even just the clothes I wear has changed so much. Some of you have known me for years. You know that I'm constantly changing. There's a reason why I went to the fashion industry. I love style and image, and, but, but you have to understand I actually grew up in Miami. I, I, I was a part of Miami Vice. I mean, I, I had platform shoes and bell-bottom pants and silk shirts. I was that guy. I was a wild and crazy guy. And it looked exactly ready every day to go into the club. And I am so glad I moved from Miami. But then we moved to North Carolina where no one had ever seen a silk shirt or bell-bottoms or platform shoes except on a woman. And... And I had to readapt my, my environment, my, my style, my approach. And so I went with Doc Martens and Levi jeans and flannel shirts. The very things I once despised became me. And then I moved to Texas. I remember the day I went and got those blue cowboy boots. So that I could fit in and be a part of this culture as I traveled the world, I began picking up different things from different places. There was a season in my life I just wanted to be Japanese so badly. (laughs) That's not even mentioned the hairstyles. And you can always blame your hairstyle on a decade. You know, that was the 80s. I have all the way back to that was the 60s. There's a little era there there. There are words that should never be spoken, like mullet. And I look back and I think, I can't even blame a decade on that. That was not even a good idea then. <laughs> so I'm grateful I've changed and I will keep changing. And, and the older I get, the less I care what anyone thinks about me. And the more I just want to be an expression of who I really am, even if I don't know who that is. And I don't even care if who I am on Tuesday is the same as on Wednesday. I'm just going to be who I am in that moment because I'm going to keep changing. But you know, one of the areas I've really changed is, is even in my relationship to faith. It's been a journey for me. I, I, I know people who are consistent. They, they, they have the same hairstyle 30 years later. They wear the same clothes 40 years later. They have the same faith 20 years later. They don't realize that styles have changed, and they should have grown out of their former approach toward things. When I came to Jesus, I... I didn't know anything about Christianity. I didn't know anything about the church. I didn't have a language of God or a language of faith. I just knew I needed Jesus in my life. And I finally decided I was exhausted from living my life without God. And I opened up my life to him. And he began to change everything about me. And I I had no history of the church. And the upside with that is I didn't have any negative emotions about the church. I didn't have any negative feelings about the church. The church never did anything wrong to me because it never did anything right. I just never knew anything about the church at all. And so when I entered into a relationship with Jesus, I didn't realize that what it, would, what it would bring to me is a relationship to the church. And at first, even though I was uncomfortable and I didn't understand the dynamics, I didn't know why people were wearing robes and, and why there were these hymnals of old German songs and we were required to sing them, I, I, I didn't understand all that was going on. But I was okay because the people were so kind and so loving. And I felt that I had found something really beautiful that I needed and longed for. It was a family. It was a tribe. It was a community. and It was the church. But it wasn't long before that, that after that, I began to have experiences with other people who had negative experiences with the church. And when I talked to people about Jesus, they would immediately bring up the church. And, And all their negative feelings about God were connected to the church. And, and, and so I don't know if it was ever intentional, but eventually I, I had to try to figure out, how can I help people see who Jesus is without looking through the church? And, and then the longer I walked on this journey of faith, the more negative experiences I had in the church. And it became really difficult. And now after all these years, I have so many friends who, who have in their mind elevated to a level of spirituality where they say things like, oh, I'm all about Jesus, I'm just not into the church. As if they've risen above the value and the need for the church. And so I've had to take a step back, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the church and and my uncomfortable relationship with it and how desperately I need her, how desperately we need to be committed to the church as much as we are to Jesus. see... the church wasn't our idea. It was Jesus' idea. The, the language of the church came from Jesus. And on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus used this language. And, and we've corrupted the language. We've destroyed it. We've given it the worst reputation. But, but it doesn't matter what word Jesus would have chosen. We would have ruined that word too. And I look back and I realize, even when I started the Mosaic, that I did everything I could to separate Mosaic from the idea of the church. I don't know if you know, but our name is just Mosaic. Our name is not Mosaic Church. We are a church, but we don't let anybody know. <laughs> and I just received my last edits for my book, and the opening pages are about you, or about us, about Mosaic. And when I said Mosaic, an editor, the fourth or fifth editor, had the audacity to add church at the end of Mosaic. And they wrote in the notes, that way other people will know it's a church. And I was just burning, seething inside, going, you're not going to do that. You cannot change the name of our church. We're Mosaic. We're not Mosaic Church. If you want a Mosaic Church, you go start one. But we're Mosaic. (laughs) Uh, And as I was experiencing this through the paper, I thought to myself, why does this bother you so much? Oh, it's because I'm uncomfortable still. See, some of you may have come here and not even known we were at church. There were people who came for so long and didn't even realize that we were a church. I've had people come and tell me. I would have never gone to church. So I came to Mosaic. And then lo and behold, I find out you're a church. There's some of you here, you're our guests today. And you don't even know that you're at church. No one apologize. If they didn't tell you. If they said, I'm going to a place called Mosaic. And so I, this, is, this is my moment. I'm coming out of the closet. I'm telling you that this is a church. And that what we're doing together is what Jesus initiated. And it's important to him. And, and some of you may have even noticed that there's been a shift over the last two or three years. Where I've allowed... People call me pastor. I, I, I can't even pronounce the word. It's a little bit of still Latino in me where Spanish is my first language. And, and so I, I, there are a few words, there are a few words I, I still can't get right. Even to this day, Kim corrects me. It's pa- pastor, not pasture. And uh, pastor. But I, I was never li- comfortable with the word, and so I wouldn't let anybody call me pastor. And in fact, when people say, Pastor Irwin, I go, no, just Irwin. And I said that so often, just Irwin, just Irwin. The people start joking, saying, no, his title is just Irwin. <laughs> Which is better than unjust Irwin, but, <laughs> but only recently. In fact, it was really my kids who came to me. And they said, we, we, you need to let us call you pastor. Like, I go, I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. They go, you need to let us call you pastor. You need to acknowledge, you need to accept your identity as a pastor. like, why? You go, well, dad, there are people who actually want to become like you. So they want to become fashion designers or filmmakers or futurists or writers, but they don't want to become pastors because you don't own that identity. If you would just own the identity of being a pastor, there'd be amazingly cool, incredible people who would be running to become pastors. So I said, all right, do what you must do. Say what you must say. And, and I, I'm just staying up here going, Hi, my name is Irwin, and I am the pastor of Mosaic. And it's a really interesting space for me to be in. But it's... And I realized even three weeks ago, I was in Vancouver at TED. And I, I, I've been going to TED for so many years, I would never just say I'm a pastor. I would always... You know, people ask me, what do you do after they tell me the incredible things they're doing? And I'm like, no matter how I answer it, it's just wrong, And I say, oh, I'm a designer, I'm a filmmaker, I'm an artist, I'm a writer, I'm a futurist. That was one of my favorite. I've done all those things. I've been paid to do all those things. But I wouldn't say I'm a pastor. And I wouldn't say I'm a pastor of a church. That's two negative words in one sentence. And you don't use a double negative in a sentence. We all know that grammatically. And so I I just experimented this last time. I, I, I was at this, you know, after party. Because this friend of mine invited me, and he said, come on over. And he introduces me to one of the greatest photographers from Natural, National Geographic. And I thought, I'm just going to say it, because he told me what he did. And he's one of the greatest photographers in the world. He goes, what do you do? So said, I'm the pastor of a church called Mosaic on Hollywood Boulevard. It was like this awkward silence. <laughs> it was like saying, I'm a cannibal, and I'm here for lunch. Then my friend friend Scott, he couldn't bear the awkwardness of the moment. He couldn't do it. I could feel it. The tension was just crushing him. So he said, Mosaic's not like any church you've ever known. (laughs) Mosaic's like, they're they're really like socially conscious and they're into social justice. And and he just started going on and telling him why we are different than what he thinks of his church. And and I just said, Scott, stop. Stop, stop. And I looked at this man I just met for the first time, and I said, this is how bad the situation is. That he has to justify that I'm a part of a church to you. He goes, yeah. Then we just started talking. (laughs) See, I'm convinced that God wants to do something so significant in the world. And the reason we're holding him back is because we are a bunch of individuals who go to church rather than a tribe who becomes the church. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we see the most extraordinary eruption of a human movement. We see the church becoming the most significant force in the world. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always pray God, thank God, for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I I love how this, this letter is constructed Because even the construction of this letter gives us insight to how God works in the world. Have you ever read the Bible and just couldn't figure out how to make it work in your life? Come on, has anybody ever just tried to take one of those promises and go, okay. (laughs) Do it, God. Fulfill that promise in my life. See, even we take verses out of the Bible and we make them ours. Go, this is God's promise to me. And if you do that long enough, you will eventually realize that doesn't work. See, because what we've done is we've corrupted the narrative of the scriptures and acted as if God is speaking only to us as individuals rather than to us as a community, as a people, as a tribe. See, the Bible cannot be read first from the me. It must be read first from the we. When God speaks, whenever he gives any promise, the promise is not for I, but for us. When he writes this, it's to a people, but it's also in this moment from a people. It says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I love that this letter is not written by one person, but a team. See, God can do something in your life and through your life. But it pales in comparison to what he can do if you will come together with others and allow God to work with you as you work with others. Paul was powerful enough by himself. Why would he add Silas and Timothy? Wouldn't that diminish his brand? Wouldn't that diminish his story? Wouldn't he want the story to be about himself, Paul? He had Paul, perhaps one of the most powerful men in human history, who is known by historians as the founder of Christianity, who through his life, the Roman Empire was turned upside down. Writes this letter not as an individual, but as a community. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, almost as if they were modeling the relational nature of God in the Trinity. The God is a God of relationship, of community. To some of you here, and you're still trying to do life alone. You're still trying to do great things by yourself. You're still only committed to your personal greatness. And though we are sitting together, we are not walking together. And the powerful thing that God wants to do in the world is not through me as an individual, but through us as a people. And we need to become Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And don't be confused. Paul, Silas, and Timothy could be Martha, Mary, and Susanna. God is looking for women and men who will lay down their ego, put aside their pride, stop worrying about their brand, their name, their fame, and come together and do something that will change the world. This is Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church. We just skip right over that because that's just the introduction. Then we read the rest of it as if we're the church by ourselves. No wonder God isn't fulfilling his promises in our lives because we want God to isolate us and do for us what he will only do for us. Maybe you have to step into the community before you step into the promise. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church. And this is my uncomfortable moment. See, I've come to realize that I have spent my life as a follower of Jesus trying to reclaim the reputation of Jesus. This has been a deep, deep longing and passion in my heart. I want people to see Jesus for who he really is. I I want to strip away all the, the damage That has been done by those of us who have carried his name, but not carried his character. And, And sometimes my solution has been to be upfront about Jesus, but to throw the church into the basement and be ashamed of my association with her. But he writes, we are speaking to you as a people. To the church. It almost feels outdated, doesn't it? To be committed to something that's bigger than you. To be a part of something that isn't about you. Isn't about me. I, I even thought about it from a, a very personal perspective. I am astonished that I've had any success in my life. It, it, it is almost incomprehensible to me. I, I, I find myself sometimes overwhelmed that I have the privilege of writing books, of being a part of this community, of speaking across the world. And I think it's so ironic that some people actually perceive me as talented. It just blows my mind. If you knew me, you would know why. It seems so absurd. But in the end, what I've realized is that I actually have no talent that can be identified outside of community. See, if I write a book, it only has value if somebody reads it. If no one ever reads it, if no one's ever affected by the words I've written on a page, that book is worthless. It has no value. It only has value based on the person who reads it and allows it to shape their life. I'm dependent on others to have any meaningful contribution to make in the world. Even, even in communication. I just came in from Brooklyn, Queens, and, and they asked me to do a session on communication. And, and the day before we were in London, and, and in London they asked me if i come and teach them about communication. And I realized I, I've, I spent my life trying to hone this craft of learning how to communicate in a way that makes sense to people, that moves us. See, this is not accidental. I have given my life to do this well. But you know what's really odd? There's nothing I do that has any value if you don't hear, if you don't receive, and if you don't engage. If if it were not for you, I would just be spitting into the wind. My words would just be sounds without any meaningful contribution in the world at all. I I, I suspect that, that this was always God's intention. That our greatest contributions would only emerge when we give ourselves to one another. See, that's what the church is. It's when we move together in concert, when we move together on a common mission. And it doesn't mean that everyone moves into the paid team. You may be a doctor or a dentist, an architect or a teacher. You may be a barista or you may be a plumber. You, you may be in between jobs. But whatever you're doing, you're supposed to be on the mission with Jesus. And you and I are together supposed to be impacting the world in a way that we could never do alone. He says, Paul, says Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. See, I think even that's significant. He says, the church of the Thessalonians because the Thessalonians were a city. It's like saying... We are writing to the church of the Angelinos. He's not just writing to a handful of people who believe in Jesus. He's not just writing to the community of people who have leaned in and said, "Yes, God will follow you with everything we have." He's saying, "This church belongs to the people of the city." And somehow along the way, we got skewed, we, we thought the church was here for people who believe. We thought the church was here for us. the church isn't here for us. We are the church and we're here for the world. <laughs> Do you realize that that all over the country, cities and communities are rezoning to make sure churches can't get in? And, and people get really upset. It, it doesn't make me happy either. But I realize that a part of the reason communities zone out churches is because they don't think churches are vital to their future. And what we need to do is redefine the value of the church. See, we need to become the kind of community, the kind of people, that everywhere we go, everything gets better. Everyone gets better. Businesses get better. Streets get better. Neighborhoods get better. See, we need to be the kind of community that people can identify and say, when the church is here, everything gets better. We cannot see ourselves in opposition to those who do not believe in Jesus. We need to see here as their servants. See ourselves as those who are placed here to serve them. They were the church of the Thessalonians. See, all those those letters to the Galatians and to the Ephesians and to the Romans, the Philippians, those are all the names of cities. I, I, I love that that Jesus thinks in macro and micro. Right? He says, Jesus says to his disciples, and you will be my witnesses. He says, right, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Talk about macro. Talk about big picture. The ends of the earth. He's, he says to a handful of people. There were 12 now. There's 11. There's some other people there. There are women and men who are unnamed. But there's about 120 of them, we're told. And Jesus looks at them and says, You're going to be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. Without the internet. How in the world could they make this happen? Once Jesus pressing them to do something that was impossible, you're going to be a witness to the very ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the Jesus pressing them out. You're going to touch every corner of this planet. And you're also going to watch what's Samaria, and Samaria is a place where, where they're, they're the people they didn't love. The Samarians were the ones that, that they despised, that you're going to go there to. And Judea was the outer regions where they didn't feel responsible But do you notice the smallest unit Jesus uses is a city? You will be my witnesses, not to Joe and Joe's family and Joe's friends and Joe's neighbors. He says, you're going to be my witnesses, smallest particle, a city. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I wonder if the reason we haven't impacted the entire world with the love of Jesus is because we think so small that we just think of ourselves. What if we said, you know, the smallest unit that Jesus wants us to take on as Mosaic is Los Angeles. I mean, we can do more if we're ambitious, but we should at least take on the 12 million people in greater Los Angeles. We should make these people our responsibility. We should serve them and love them and be light and hope to them. We should find some way to be proof of God just for our city. We we don't have all the time in the world and we're all going to die. So let's just take on this small project of turning Los Angeles upside down. And then if we have time, and for those who are a little more ambitious, we can take some other cities. Because, you know, after we're finished with L.A., we'll still have the weekend. And we can watch Paris be transformed. And Tokyo be transformed. And Buenos Aires be transformed. And if we're courageous enough, if we learn from what we've learned when we turn Los Angeles upside down, we can watch Damascus be transformed. And Dubai be transformed. And Cairo be transformed. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians because the smallest unit that Jesus talks about is a city. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. And we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember you are our memorial. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are so many other things that are helpful. I mean, I'm so grateful we live in a time of technology. I'm grateful that we live in a time with microphones and lights and occasionally air conditioning. <laughs> I'm grateful that we live in a time with the internet. In a time where we can actually YouTube and send conversations across the world. But they didn't have those advantages. All they had was the power of faith, love, and hope. And maybe, just maybe, this is the core. That we need to have a work produced by faith and a labor prompted by love and an endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. We know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And here it is. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Can you imagine reading those words? Your faith in God has become known everywhere. So we're just getting started because there are people across the street that don't know. So there are people across the city that don't know yet. They don't don't know how much they're loved. They don't know how much they're valued. They don't know that God has come for them. They don't understand that Jesus has stepped into human history, was crucified for them, buried and raised from the dead, not to condemn the world, but to bring the world life. They don't know yet. They don't even know we're here. Sometimes we get a sense of bigness. We're mosaic. Just walk two minutes and ask. What do you think of mosaic? The tile? The tile? See, I'm imagining a day where you can ask any of 12 million people, what do you think of Mosaic? They go, oh, that's the church that's changing everything. Their faith is known around the world. I got an email last night from a friend. She lives in Singapore. She used to be one of my business partners. We had a a consulting company for corporations, and I worked as a futurist, and so she was in Bali on, a, on a, I guess, a vacation. And she sent me an email last night saying, hey, I just want you to know what happened. I'm here in this meeting in Bali, and I'm talking to this woman, and she explained to me that her husband I was a Muslim and how they've been on a three-year journey searching and discovering faith. And last year, they decided to vacation in Los Angeles. And on New Year's Eve, they were looking for something to do, so they went to one of Los Angeles's exciting New Year's Eve experiences, Mosaic. And they came to Mosaic on New Year's Eve, and her husband, who's a Muslim, gave his life to Jesus, and his life changed forever. (laughs) This uh, this is amazing. I have someone writing me, emailing me from Indonesia, who lives in Singapore, about a friend whose husband is a Muslim, who they met in Bali, who came to know Jesus here in the corner of Hollywood Boulevard at La Brea. And this is exactly what we are capable of. See, our faith in God can be known everywhere. And you know this as well as I do. Just because there are churches everywhere doesn't mean that people are hearing the message of Jesus the way that makes sense to them. In fact, sometimes it's our own tribe that creates the most damage. Feel free to get that. Because it might be Jesus calling. See, what, what, do you, what do we think the limits of God is for us? Well, How, how far could, could God impact the world through you and through us together? Is it inconceivable that someone who's a Muslim in Indonesia could pass through on a New Year's Eve party? And meet Jesus and be forever changed. What would happen if we became generous with what we've received? And there are, this, there are people listening, even right now on the live stream. If you're listening, pay attention. Who listen through the podcasts all over the world. I, I, I get emails and texts from people all over the world saying, We're in Berlin, we're in Paris. We're in Cape Town, we're in Shanghai, we're in Hong Kong, we're in Buenos Aires, we're in Mexico City. People write me from everywhere saying, when are you going to bring a mosaic here? People saying, when are you going to do this for us? You are our church. And I was trying to encourage people, find a church, go, look, we, we, we know there's good churches here, but, but it doesn't resonate with who we are and it will not reach our friends. When are you going to take responsibility and come to our city? Maybe the worst thing in the world is to hoard what God has given us. Maybe we need to elevate our game and elevate our faith and elevate our sacrifice. Because he says what you did is through your severe suffering. About two weeks ago, I I met with about a hundred Korean pastors. And I, I knew some of them from years back. I used to go to Korea to speak, not in Korean, But uh, but two Koreans. And it was always kind of uncomfortable because the church I would go speak in would have like 100,000 members. That's almost 100,000 more than us. (laughs) So it was always a little awkward to be the pastor of Mosaic going to talk to them about how to do church. And one of the times I was there, I think the very first time, the pastor, Pastor Ha, He passed away from cancer since then, but he was this elegant, brilliant, noble man. In fact, he was a multimillionaire in business and transferred all of his skills in the business environment to grow one of the largest churches in the world. And I realized, oh, in this church, the best of the best go into ministry, give their life to building the church. And he was saying, he wasn't really telling me what to say, but he was telling me what to say. Saying, you know, you talk about whatever you want, but I need you to tell them about you doing church in a nightclub. See, 20 years ago when we went into one of the nightclubs, one of the clubs that Prince used to own, one of the nastiest clubs in the city. It had so many names, Shangri-La, Downtown Soho, I think Q, all these different names. Every time the police would shut it down, it would reopen with a new name. And 20 years ago when we went into that nightclub, everybody thought we were trying to be cool. There was nothing cool about it, let me tell you. It was the nastiest club I'd ever been to in my life. Syringes everywhere, mattresses everywhere, other items everywhere, the commodes overflowing from vomit. Our volunteers would come in hours earlier, and some days they would call them double rubber glove days. Because cleaning that place was dangerous. And it held like 200 people, and before we left, there were 2,000 people cramming into that club who would never have walked into a church. But they walked into a club that had been turned into a church. And this pastor said, I need you to talk about the church in a club. I need you to talk about the church in cafes. I need you to talk about the church in theaters, the way you know you guys do. And that was before it was popular. Now it seems like everyone's in a club, everyone's in a theater, everyone's in a cafe. But that was before, when it wasn't popular, when it was heretical, when it was sacrilegious. I said, Pastor Ha, why do you want me to talk about those? Because it was a very conservative church. I said, why do you want me to talk about that? I, and he said, because in Korea, we need precedent. It is inappropriate for us to do something first. We have to point to someone who's done it in the past. And it gives us permission to do it in the future. He was asking Mosaic to be their memorial. And I said, so you're going to do this? You're going to go into like, clubs and cafes and theaters? He goes, yes. And I said, when? He goes, oh, they're already rented. (laughs) We're just waiting for you. I'm like, oh, I'm the guy who crosses the enemy lines so they know who to shoot. (laughs) But I'm disposable. His face says, hey, look, would you step out into the open, let them shoot you. But when you go down, we promise you, We're going to attack the line. Now, almost 20 years later, there are articles being written about how Korean churches have taken over the cafe culture of the country. How the Korean churches have moved into all of these unexpected spaces and are reaching an entirely new generation. And what I loved about Mosaic was that we were doing things that were were not popular and they were not cool. They were what we did because we loved our friends and would do anything to reach our friends with the love that Jesus has for them. We never sat in a room and said to ourselves, what's the coolest thing we can do? What's the most creative thing we can do? We never said, "Let's let's just blow everybody's mind. What we did say is, what are we gonna do to help our friends who will never darken the door of a church meet the Jesus who loves them? We were always driven and motivated by love, by a deep burden and passion for people. And what we have to realize is that if you go first, you don't get the glory, you get the suffering. And now people are coming to me and it's such, I'm so glad I've been alive so long. I'm beginning to watch the waves work their way back with the undertow. Now people are coming and saying, well, we remember. We remember when you guys did these things and no one was doing them and everybody hated you guys and everybody threw you under the bus and said that you were taking the sacred and destroying it, making it sacrilegious and bringing the world into the church. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're bringing the world because that's people into the church. And, and they said, now it's just normal. And, and lately people have been asking me this question, what's Mosaic doing now that we're all going to be doing in 20 years? And honestly, I don't know. Because if I were going to be really honest with you, I I think we're riding on the momentum of the past rather than building on the memorials of the past. See, what should we do because we love our city? What must we do to help those who are furthest from God find a way to Him And make a way from him to them. What would God do with us if we step back into our proper role? You see, some of you are new, you don't realize that Mosaic was never created to survive. I would even say, I don't know if we're gonna exist, but we're gonna be the R and D department for God. We're going to be the research and development arm of the church. We're going to be the first to risk, the first to innovate. We're going to be the first to try to throw everything down for the sake of people. And if we die in the process, so be it. I remember even in our first leadership meeting, I actually said to the people in the room, I have no idea if we'll succeed. Because one guy stood up, an engineer. It's always an engineer. He said, Erwin, just tell us that God's going to do this and we'll follow you. I wanted to, so bad. I thought, one small lie won't kill us. <laughs> but I looked at him and I said, I can't tell you that God's going to do this. I don't know. I just know it's the right thing to do. See, we, we may cra- crash and burn in the middle of our effort. But if we die, if we die, then the skin marks of our flesh and our blood will point in the direction that the church needs to go. That it wasn't about just words. There is power in the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And there has to come a point in our lives where we go, God, we want to make a difference in this city. We want to turn this city upside down. We believe the smallest unit for you is the city. And that you can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. But maybe we've stopped asking and stopped imagining. He says, you became a model to all the believers, and I'm telling you, the church desperately needs a model for a new future. The church has been known for the last 1,500 years as the epicenter of judgment and condemnation. The church has been known as using guilt and shame to manipulate and control people. The church has been known for abusing power and abusing people. And if we don't do something, a thousand years from now, that will remain the memorial. So I want to throw out a possibility that we create a new marker, that we become the new memorial, that we become the kind of church that 100 years from now and 500 years from now and 1,000 years from now people will talk about what happened in Los Angeles, that there will be a day where children cannot imagine Los Angeles as being anything except the epicenter of the movement of Jesus and the way people think of Paris as the city of romance and artistry, industry, the way people think of Washington as a city of power, the way people think of New York as a city of wealth, and people think of Los Angeles today as the epicenter of creativity. But the reason I moved here 25 years ago was because I knew Los Angeles was the capital of the future. See, the, the entire world is not in the same moment in human history, the future does not move evenly. The future is created by those with the courage to step into the unknown. And out of their ambition and their determination, the rest of the world follows into their future. And we live in the capital of the future of humanity. So what kind of future will we give them? We live in what is known as the epicenter of human creativity, but we should become the epicenter of human spirituality. This city will have a day where you cannot say Los Angeles without thinking of Jesus. Do you believe that with us, this motley crew... God could turn the world upside down. That he could create a domino effect. Where the great cities of the world would be so inspired and informed of what's happening here. That the world would open their hearts to Jesus. See, what God wants to do is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. And that's why the calling is for us. For us. Today, 50 people from Mosaic are in Sonata. They're in and We always forget to mention it to you because doing good is so natural to us we forget that we're doing it. 50 people from our community are in Sonata bringing medical relief and working with families and children and helping those who have no access to health care have a moment of reprieve from their suffering. Last year, about 25 our people went to Malawi, and this year, nearly double that number will go. And they'll be in Malawi, and they'll be working with hundreds and hundreds of families with an endless number of children. They're going to be, we're going to be building a school where young women will be educated to become the leaders of their society. We're helping build a Bible college where men and women will be raised up to bring hope and meaning and life to the continent of Africa. See, we're doing that. We're part of that. It just happens because it's what we do naturally. This morning, we introduced two families here on this platform, the Ku and and the Wu family. And these two families are receiving homes through Habitat for Humanity, and we have made that possible. We began building homes with Habitat almost a decade ago, and we just keep building homes for people. And what overwhelmed me this morning is when I stepped out on the platform. I didn't know that one of the couples receiving a home was actually from Mosaic. And, and I, I, I knew Noel when he was single, Nina when she was single, and they actually met in the nightclub. That was the church. And they met there. They got married, now they have kids. They were weeping on this platform when they discovered that they were going to have a home. I'll never forget how Noel said, we've been here for all these years and we've watched family after family after family leave. When they got married and they couldn't buy a home, they moved into the valley or they moved into Orange County, they moved somewhere else so they could afford a home. And if they had kids, they didn't want their kids to be raised in Los Angeles, so they moved into a safer place. And we watched all the families that we've grown up with leave, but we stayed. So we stayed. And so we didn't want to leave L.A. We love our city. We don't want to leave Mosaic. We love our church. This is where we're called. So we can't believe we're going to have a home here. We need people like Noel. And Dina, who say, "This is my church, this is my city, this is my calling, and I will not abandon my post."." And there's some of you here, and you don't even realize that God has strategically positioned you to be a door opener for Jesus and to the world. If you have a job you hate, and you've been asking God to get you out of that job, and he hasn't answered that prayer, maybe he won't get you out of that job until you get him into that job. See, maybe, maybe just maybe, your job is bigger than you. It's part of God's intention in the world. If you are a person here, there's some of you here, and you, your managers or your owners There's some of you here that that have positions of influence and you separate your life in such a way that here you're all about Jesus, but there nobody knows that Jesus and you have ever met. It's time to see that as your strategic placement by God. What would happen if we began to pull together the human resources of everything God has given to us? And saw Mosaic as more than who came together on Sunday, but who was moving out together on Monday through Saturday. Our faith in God would be known everywhere. And we would become a model to the church. I see a day. It just burns inside of me. See, I, I see a day when people are sitting around talking about the church. See, right now... Governments are trying to lock us out, but I see a day where mayors and governors, where city councils, where nations are changing their zoning to make sure the church will come. See, I see that day. See, I see that day when people go, we have to have a church here or we'll never become the vibrant community we need to become. Because wherever there's a church, there's an unleashing of human creativity and duty and imagination and compassion and kindness and relationship. We need a church here because they make us better. I, I, I love that Mosaic has a reputation for having a lot of atheists. Because it's true. See, I, I think we may be One of the few communities in the world that openly and proactively invites people who don't believe in God to be part of us. This is a community where Buddhists come and Hindus come, Muslims come, Atheists come, Agnostics come, Baptists come. I mean, everyone comes to find their way to Jesus. And even during Life's Toughest Questions, one of the Atheists who sent in the question heard that I was reading their questions so they came. They may not ever come for any other reason, but they came because their question was being answered or at least addressed. And I I just think it's just so like God because that atheist came to hear the answer to their question and then that gathering, they gave their life to Jesus and we just happened to have a spontaneous baptism and they were baptized. Isn't that awesome? So I think it's time for us to create a memorial To think not only about this moment, but a hundred years from now. To believe together that there will be a day where the story of Los Angeles will be completely rewritten. And we need to stop trying to be strategic about how did we get Jesus in the movies. We need to get Jesus in the people. Because he didn't die for movies. He died for humans. And if we can change the human story, the story will change that humans tell. We were just in London when the Man, Manchester bombing took place. And these innocent girls were senselessly killed by a 22-year-old terrorist. And the country went on alert, and they sent out the military because there were not enough police officers to protect the citizens. It hit me so hard, I realized there are not enough police to protect us from the violence in the world. There are not enough soldiers to protect us from the violence in the world. There are not enough armies to protect us from the violence of the world. And the only thing that will ever end the violence is the love. See, you should never underestimate how important the church is because we are God's Intention for the world we are God's strategy for the world we, the church is what God is doing in the world because God's strategy to bring us out of the violence to bring us out of the despair to end our loneliness to end our brokenness is the life that we receive in his son Jesus and I know it's controversial and I know it's not politically correct But if we don't believe that Jesus is the hope of the world what hope is there? And who will take that hope? Who will take that hope to the world? And so today I'm going to believe for something. I'm going to believe for Navy SEALs. Navy SEALs of faith that will take on the mission of Jesus and take on the responsibility of building the church and reaching the world. Whether you're an actor or an artist, a dancer or a writer, whether you're a teacher or a student, I want to ask you, are you willing to lay everything in your life down at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, I take your mission as my life? See, you don't have to be paid for it because the reward is bigger than that. But if you're ready to join us on this mission, we need you. I don't want to do this to entertain you or even to inspire you. Maybe that's the after effect of cancer. My life to me matters too much to do just that. I believe that Jesus started the greatest movement that the world has ever known. That he is the catalyst of a movement of faith, hope, and love that will change the human heart and transform the future of the human race. And I am willing to give my life for that, not because I can't do something else, but because nothing else matters more to me. And I want to know, is that you? Are you ready to step up and be on the front lines? Are you ready to give everything you have to this great cause? I want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. There's some of you here right now. And you've been listening to talks about Jesus. You've been thinking about giving him your life. You've been right at the line, but you have never stepped over, whether it's doubt or fear. But it's time to cross the line, to let Jesus change your life, to let him make you new. And if that's you, I want you to pray this simple prayer right now. Jesus, I give you my life right now just pray that wherever you are because that's why Jesus came that's why he was crucified that's why he rose from the dead so that you could have his life so he could put life in you but he cannot put life in you until you give him your life so pray this prayer Jesus I give you my life right now Jesus I give you my life I don't usually do it this way but today I'm going to do it like this if that's you If that's your prayer, I want you to step out of the shadows. I want you to step into the light. I want you to step into a moment of overwhelming courage and defy the weight of gravity. And I want you to stand right now and say, yes, that's me. Even if it's just one of you. Stand right now. Beautiful. Just stand right now if that's you. Beautiful. Is that you? Someone else right now, you stand. This is your moment. And Jesus, I give you my life. I'm stepping out of the shadows into the light. I'm giving you all of me right now. Anyone else right now? Just remain standing. You can apply that. Thank God for them. Beautiful. I want to pray for you right now. Anyone else before I pray? Anyone else before I pray? If your heart is pounding against your chest and you know this is your moment, just step up. Everything will change. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for the women and the men who had the courage to stand in this moment. Who stepped out of the shadow, went to the light, and said, yes, I need Jesus. I crossed that line of faith. I give myself to him. I pray that right now, you would just wrap them up in your love. And that they would know that you have heard their prayer and that they belong to you. That nothing but nothing can take them from your love. That you will hold them from this moment for all eternity. I pray that, God, you would do great and mighty things in their life. I ask you, God, to give them great dreams and the courage to pursue them. I pray that their life would move out of the ordinary into the unexplainable and that they would have this day as their memorial, their marker. They could look back and say, everything changed that day, that my life was transformed, that my world was turned upside down, and I went from death into life. I pray, Father, that in this moment they would know that the most real thing in their life is Jesus. And I ask you, God, just to surround them with friends, surround them with people, surround them with those who would love them and help them grow. And right now, just remain standing. Everyone else, just bow your heads and close your eyes. I I want those of you who we trust as our pastors and leaders to look around and see those who are standing. I want to make sure that someone has someone go to them and talk to them before you leave. Because no one should do this alone. right, I want you to be seated just for a moment. Go ahead, take a seat. Thank you. Can we just thank God for them? Beautiful. For this next part, we're not going to close our eyes. We're not going to bow our heads. I'm not going to make it comfortable. I'm not going to make it easy. If these individuals could stand up so courageously and give their lives to Jesus, and by the way, that must have been terrifying. And I am so grateful that you had the courage to do that. So grateful. But let me tell you what's happening here. I wrote down on my iPad, it's time to take over the city. And so, we're going to have a campus right here in Hollywood until they tear the building down. And then we're going to go to South Pasadena and take over the Rialto. Let me tell you what else. We're going to go to Venice Beach and we're going to create a campus in Venice Beach. And we have a campus in Whittier. We're going to grow that campus and reach that section of the city. And then... We're going to go to Inglewood, and we're going to do something amazing down there. And because they really need Jesus, we're going to open up a campus in Beverly Hills as well. And I feel like God is, like, expanding my heart. So I'm saying, all right, Lord, I don't know. But, okay, we're going to go to Orange County. And then we're going to go all the way up to Calabasas. And we're just going to be getting started. Because then we're going to go to San Francisco, we're going to Portland, we're going to Seattle, we're going to Vancouver, we're going to San Diego. And then, con el poder de Dios vamos a ir a Mexico City. Vamos a Buenos Aires. Vamos a Bogota. Vamos a San Salvador. Vamos a Lima, Peru. Vamos a todo el mundo. If that's you if you're ready to step up if you're done going to church and you're ready to be the church then i want you to give everything your time your energy i want you to put your money where your mouth is i want you to risk your job your career your future your dreams so that you will be forever identified with jesus it's time to come out and let the light shine in the darkness You know, we live in the city that created the series, Shameless. Because we live in the city where no one is ashamed of who they are or what they do. We're a shameless city. But those of us who love Jesus and believe in Him, we're so full of shame. So we need to be shameless as well. We need to be proud that our lives have been impacted by the God who loves everyone. But we need to become the most inclusive, compassionate, forgiving, loving community on the planet. We need to redefine what it means to be the church. So together, we're going to reclaim the reputation of Jesus, but we're going to reclaim the reputation of the church. And I can see it. There are going to be atheists and Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and everyone in this city going, Yeah, I go to Mosaic. You believe in God? Not yet. Because you know people believe in God, but don't believe in the church. So why can't they believe in the church before they believe in God? See, I want this to be the place where an atheist gets up and says, I don't even believe in God, but I cannot live without Mosaic. I don't even know if God exists, but I know I'm loved there. Let's become invaluable to the city. Because the church is not here for us. We are the church, and we are here for the world. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply into your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor and bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.